This podcast is sponsored by ID90 Travel, an airline's one-stop shop for your employees' past travel reservations, no-fee interline discount hotels, rental cars, and cruises. Skip the hassle and high cost of maintaining antiquated past ticketing and travel discount systems with ID90 Travel's modern, all-online, all-in-one platform. The numbers aren't bad. But the story is pretty terrible. Last week, Air France KLM posted a 5% operating margin in its second quarter. That was up from 3% the year before. That sounds like a good start, but this improvement is overwhelmingly a fuel-driven story, as the airline's fuel bill dropped a whopping 30% year over year. That led to an 8% drop in operating costs, which normally would be a recipe for great success but declining revenues largely spoiled that huge tailwind from fuel. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is the sapient Seth Kaplan, (laughs) Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We're still plowing our way through earnings season, and we'll start the show with the troubles and struggles of Air France KLM. Meanwhile, IAG had another good quarter, but with some new wrinkles. Ryanair continues to be seemingly unstoppable. And speaking of unstoppable, we'll finish in the U.S., where JetBlue, Spirit, and Allegiant all reported stellar second quarters. From the disappointing to the sublime, we've got it all in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. So we're starting our jaunt through the heart of earnings season with Air France KLM, who is struggling despite notching a 5% operating margin in Q2. Seth, I'm going to start with a pretty basic question. How bad is 5%? Well, it's it's not bad for Air France KLM, but uh, that's that's the problem, uh, up actually from 3% last year. And yeah, you know, I, I went back a number of years. I said, well, they had to have done better sometime recently. Uh, you know, even even while knowing it wasn't last year, but no, um, you know, even even a year like 2010, very good for the global industry, uh, particularly for you know, a lot of long haul carriers. Now, uh, so so in a quarter that you know generally would be the second best of the year for a European carrier, five percent relatively for them, uh, actually rather good. Uh, but you know, we'll get to them in a few minutes. But some of those other airlines that you mentioned in the uh, intro. Uh, certainly not envious uh, of that 5% result. The problems are many, and we've talked about them a lot here. But one that surely continues to get worse is terrorism, especially in France. Do you have any new info on the demand situation in France? If it seems to be deteriorating, if anything, um, you know, it has been resilient for a while. I mean, after those awful attacks in Paris late last year, uh, there was impact, obviously, um, you know, particularly from certain points of sale regarding inbound tourism. Uh, you know, I'm talking Japan, especially. And, uh, you know, it, it almost seems like once, you know, for, while people still thought it was kind of a one off. Uh, you know, they were willing to come back uh, to some degree with the exception of some markets. Uh, but, you know, lately it, it's, it does seem to have been one thing after another. Obviously, the, the, uh, the, the big attack in Nice being the uh, most dramatic recent event, but certainly not the only one. Yeah, it, it's now there's just this perception that sort of when will it end? You know, it seems to be impacting uh, demand more, more broadly to Europe, always a little difficult to say what is specifically because of the terrorism and what's because of 
you know, just, just all the other economic issues. And Transavia doesn't seem to be the answer for these plummeting revenues. No, not yet anyway. Uh, you know, these low-cost units within an airline um, are always tricky. I mean, we've talked about this a lot. Whaling, which has lately had its own struggles, but that's kind of a different thing, uh, more of an operational thing, a different story because it was a successful airline before IAG bought it. Uh, but all these units that were sort of launched by uh, legacy airline companies uh, defensively, uh, you know, cer- certainly a lot more examples over the years of ones that didn't work than those that did. Uh, and and Transavia, you know, doesn't seem to be a uh, an, an exception to that so far. Um, you've got the Dutch in the French side, so the Dutch side particularly impacted by what was going on in Turkey, uh, the French side by uh, the issues in North Africa. Uh, there's a new base in Munich uh, that. Uh, they said got off to a worse than expected start. And Jason, with 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 uh, a lot of questionable airline moves, sometimes you know airlines will say, "Oh, something was better than expected, exceeding expectations, even when it wasn't all that good." So when they're coming right out and saying that that was worse than expected, uh, you know, it was probably really bad. In March, there was some vague talk about the airline group showing interest in low cost long haul. Any further indication indication regarding that? Not yet, and, and and hard to imagine that any of the the transatlantic trends or or the early returns from Eurowings, uh, you know, Air France's uh, go at that, are giving them any more confidence in in starting that. And lastly, the new CEO of Air France met in Atlanta with the CEO of Delta. What do you think they discussed? Well, probably just sort of a high level, getting to know each other sort of thing. I mean, there there are people in the middle management levels of those airlines, middle and senior management level of those airlines that uh, know each other very, very well, been doing this a long time. Uh, it, it all started, of course, with really with the, the Northwest KLM joint venture, the first of its kind back in the early 90s, ended up in what today is the Delta Air France KLM uh, joint venture, along with Alitalia. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, it, it's not as if uh, they have to sort of strategically devise what the, what the joint venture's uh, going to be doing, but hard to think of two airlines that are more important partners to each other, uh, certainly on the long haul front, and so certainly important for the uh, for the leaders to get to know each other, especially since the new CEO of Air France didn't come from within the airline industry. It's not like he jumped from another airline, not like they had been seeing each other at IATA meetings uh, over the years together in the same way that would be the case for uh, for some other people who, who could have potentially become the CEO. Moving on to IAG, the airline group that includes British Airways, Iberia, Vueling, and more recently, Aer Lingus. In Q2, the group reported a 10% operating margin. Double digits, not too bad. Not bad at all. Uh, it's just fractionally higher than their own result uh, from the same quarter last year. I mean, it's, it's double what Air, Air France KLM reported, as we were just, just a moment ago, that 5% figure. Uh, better also than what Lufthansa reported. Uh, they, they actually just reported. Well, I'm sure Jason get to that in depth in next week's podcast. And of course, before then, we'll have our full analysis in, in uh, the Airline newsletter. Uh, but yeah, by those standards, a, a very good result. So everything's good there. Or has, oh, I don't know, has something else happened? Something else happened to British Airways? Bruh, British. Bruh, Brexit. Uh, that, oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's obviously uh, impacting demand right now. 
what's interesting about it is, you know, early in the year, there was impact from it because there, there was this fear long before the vote. And then as the vote approached, uh, it looked more and more likely that, in fact, the UK was going to stay, that, that they weren't going to vote to leave. Um, and then the vote itself, of course, they a huge shock. Uh, you know, IAG thinks in the in the very long term they'll be fine, but no, it, it's it has impacted demand. It's impacted outbound demand from the UK. Uh, you know, partly just because of, of currency movement. It, it's simply now more expensive to visit the rest of the world if if you're British. You know, then, then there's everything else going on. We we talked a moment ago about terrorism. You know that that impacts demand in general across the Atlantic into Europe. Uh, demand, especially from, as we also mentioned a few moments ago, from uh, from Japan, from China. Uh, you know, Chinese tour groups kind of tend to move in lockstep. Uh, demand from them is is way off. Uh, it, it's it's highs. Uh, so yeah, you know, it, it's uh, the story is that things are are okay, but going forward. Uh, a lot to be worried about if you're IAG, uh, even though certainly no existential crises because they've just put themselves in such a good position going into the current challenges. And I am right to presume that Brexit fallout will be worse in the third quarter than in the second. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it happened at the very, very end of the the second quarter, although, although they didn't specifically say this. I, I would think of anything there might have been worth more brexit impact in the first quarter than there was in the second just because of what i said a minute ago that you know sort of long before the vote uh there was more fear that brexit would actually happen as the vote approached it, it seemed less likely and then and, and then of course in the end uh, it did happen but yeah the the post-brexit uh, fallout is is almost entirely a, a third quarter event and the, the question is just just how long That'll go on. Uh, IIAG isn't, by the way, too worried about uh, just traffic rights in terms of Europe and so forth. Uh, they, you know, they, they, they seem to think they'll be okay with with that. It's it, it seems to more be a demand issue, and and um, you know, obviously a a lot of impact there, and and a lot of impact in general in terms of uh, transatlantic demand because of because of everything that's uh, that's happening. In 2015, the transatlantic market was one of the big reasons IAG outpaced Lufthansa and Air France. Will we be saying the same about 2016? Well, it had been uh, looking looking decent, um, but that, that that seems to be very much a, a a moving target at this point. It almost seems like every airline that reports, even during earnings season, uh, you know the 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 uh, the different outlooks that you hear almost seem to be. Um, impacted more by the timing of each, each successive airline uh you know something else has happened uh, since since the last one uh reported so compared to other parts of the world uh, the transatlantic still may stand out as, as as a rather good bad things are in some other places unquestionably looking more perilous now uh, than it was even just a month or two ago and let's move a little further up the ladder in terms of European profits. Ryanair posted an 18% profit margin. You know, as journalists, we're not supposed to gush, but this really impressed me. This is an off-peak quarter, and it's in Europe where they've had a rough go of it. It is, yeah, without the benefit of Easter being in the second quarter this year. Yeah, you know, it's, this is an airline that that seems to be able to defy gravity. I mean, that, by the way, compared to other airlines also, other airlines that have done okay 
it's mainly been a fuel story in in many cases where you know if you didn't have collapsing fuel prices they wouldn't be able to do what they did that's not even the case at ryanair uh because it had such bad wrong way fuel hedges uh that its fuel bill was only down seven percent for a quarter so it's it's uh it's not like you say oh well you know of course they did that well because of fuel it wasn't wasn't even the uh the case um so yeah they are you know a a pan-european ultra lcc that moves their aircraft assets around to where the demand is um you know we're gonna see less uk flying because of brexit uh, but they just have plenty of other opportunities they feel and uh you know nobody's ever made very much money betting against ryanair and they had a 94 percent load factor is that did I read that right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's remarkable. Uh, I mean, look, they, they are an LCC. LCCs tend more than legacy airlines to sort of have these what's called a load factor driven revenue management strategy where you sort of you start with the idea. OK, let's let's fill the plane. I mean, let's get the highest fares we can, but let's fill the plane as opposed to let's get the highest yields possible, which can sometimes result in, in lower load factors. Uh, you know, it's partly because, look, this is an airline that, that uh, has, has such good ancillary revenue performance that, uh, you know, even if, if you have to let those last few passengers on at rather low fares, uh, they can end up being rather profitable uh, customers. But still, um, yeah, I got to be doing something right to figure out how to uh, not only fill your planes like that, but make a lot of money doing it. Any airline can fill an airplane, you know, if the fares are low enough, but, uh, but, but they also uh, put up good profits while they're at it. Okay, moving to the U.S., we can wrap up earnings season there as JetBlue, Spirit, and Allegiant reported. And I got to say, wow, let's start with the one who had the worst operating margin of those three, and that was a 19% margin. That went to JetBlue. But was JetBlue happy with that? Rather happy, uh, you know, but they were an airline where, uh, you know, that that was largely a, a fuel story. Uh, they were unhedged. Uh, give them credit for that. They, they they made the right decision about fuel. You know, even though they grew quite a bit, they grew 11 uh, percent in terms of available seat miles, their fuel costs fell uh, 40 or 26 uh, percent rather. So that was the story there. Uh, you know, they, they have some some pockets of pain. Uh, they're a big airline in Puerto Rico. And, and you know, for anybody who hasn't been paying attention, uh, which, you know, it's easy to lose sight of with all the all the issues around the world. So that's that's a place with with a, as bad an economic crisis as is almost anywhere around the world. So, yeah, very exposed to that. And, and uh, just all the competitive issues of, you know, going going on in the U.S. Look. That figure you mentioned, 19%, very good. Uh, it's not the 24% that Southwest earned. It's not the 28% that Alaska earned, but it is a a very good figure and and a figure that they achieved despite uh, something I mentioned a minute ago, Easter this year in the first quarter. It's a big deal for JetBlue. Uh, they uh, they carry a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of traffic, just just a lot of demand between New York and Florida. Those kinds of uh, family visit and leisure markets, and so all in all. They have to be rather happy, although still an airline that that uh, that never seems to sort of climb atop the uh, U.S. profitability rankings. JetBlue remains bullish on Mint, the Lie Flat product. Has the airline said anything that has raised or diminished your confidence in Mint? You'd have to conclude that it hasn't been a disaster because they're still taking new Mint-equipped planes. Um, you know, on the other hand a pretty cursory look at the fares that they get and just sort of looking at the economics of the thing would convince you that, you know, it, 
it, Mint is not driving the profits at JetBlue. You know, it's, it's not the reason why the airline is 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 doing rather well. But it, it has had some strategic importance. I mean, I think it's it's not an exaggeration to say that Mint is what helped uh, sort of finish off Virgin America. And I know that Virgin America ended up in the clutches of Alaska, uh, but JetBlue is pretty much all the other airlines are, are I'm sure, happy to not be uh, sort of competing against that extra airline anymore. You know, part of what probably convinced Virgin America that it just couldn't do it on its own anymore was was what it saw was a need to you know, refresh its product. It doesn't have a lifelap product, nor does it really have the money to to, uh, to you know to to invest in it. And uh, that's probably as much as anything else what kind of sort of convinced them to uh, to to raise the white flag again in the end. Alaska, not JetBlue, ended up with Virgin America. JetBlue wanted it. Uh, was disciplined about not in its view overpaying for it and now at least has has uh one less trans transcontinental competitor even though alaska you know certainly is, is going to be a, a very viable competitor to say the least so moving on to the next u.s carrier one with a 22 percent operating margin that went to spirit airlines what's the latest there yeah, an, an airline that is still obviously doing doing rather well, um, but not atop the uh, the profitability board. Uh, uh, you know, think about that. That's that's lower than Southwest. That that twenty two percent. I can't remember the last time that 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 was the case. Um, yeah, Spirit long among the top, often two or three profitable airlines in the world. Now not even uh, you know right near the top of the U.S. rankings, uh, although. Again, by any other standard, uh, you know, uh, globally doing doing very well. Um, you know, Spirit is just playing in an environment now that maybe doesn't play to its strengths. Jason, you and I have talked about this in the past, sort of this this idea that, that somewhat surprisingly, uh, you know, this, this is something that you might not have seen coming with the, the falling fuel prices and lower airfares, that, uh, that although on the cost side, Cheap fuel is actually disproportionately beneficial for low cost, especially ultra low cost carriers. Um, it does have this negative effect of uh, all these other airlines, sort of, the, well, I mean, let's just say it bluntly, airlines that most people would prefer to fly, are able to come in with these with these very low fares, uh, and it's it's just harder to differentiate yourself if you're Spirit. You know, two years ago. A lot of people who didn't really want to fly Spirit would fly Spirit because uh, you know it could be hundreds of dollars cheaper than another airline that they really wanted to fly. You know, when JetBlue and you know American everybody else are out there with the thirty-nine dollar fares, there's just not a lot of room for Spirit to come in under that. You know, and, and then of course they they have all the extra fees and everything, and people start doing the math and say, oh, you know, it's it's not not the same value that it once was, perhaps. Uh, again, this is all in the context of an airline that's that's still doing very well, but you see them sort of forced. Uh, or feeling forced to to uh, to do some different things that they might not have done if you know if the old thing was uh, was still working. Um, and it, it's not just fares broadly; it's also the legacy airlines are you know they have spirit in their crosshairs. They're they they're putting out these basic economy fare products, uh, saying hey if you if you're willing to put up with uh, you know no changes and no pre-assigned seats and all the rest of it, uh, we've we've got a fare for you too. Spirit's old idea that it could just sort of connect all these big city dots, you know, just going once, twice a day under the radar and that the big three Delta American United would just kind of leave it alone uh, has, has not really panned out. As I said, by most standards doing very well, but by their own standards, uh, a little bit uh, disappointing and sort of uh, trying to find their footing and, 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 and find the way forward in what has turned out to be 
what are the more difficult environments for them that they've experienced? And we save the best for last. That brings us to Allegiant. And it's uh, not just the best in today's show, but the best of any airline that re- that's reported so far. And before I say the operating margin, I want to remind you this is not the peak quarter in the U.S. That number, 30%. Yeah, really remarkable. Uh, so, so, you know, what I said before, Spirit not at the top. Well, that's Allegiant is at the top of, of, of the U.S. industry. Now, Legion 2, uh, look, obviously doing very, very well uh, and sees some new opportunities. You know, Legion just jumped into Newark. When Newark was essentially liberalized, giving, uh, giving other airlines the opportunity to start there. And uh, so, so, yeah, all kinds of opportunities. But uh, Legion 2 finding itself sort of forced to do some things that, that are not the, the things that it prefers, you know, uh, well, somewhat Spirit's now doing, sort of connecting smaller cities to the big leisure destinations. Those are more typically Allegiant kind of routes, Allegiant kind of flying. And Allegiant, in turn, is going into some of the uh, the bigger airports, and they're bumping up against each other more. And so we will, uh, you know, we'll have to see how this all plays out. Perhaps, it's, I, I hate to, it's such a cliche, I hate to say it, but lowest hanging fruit, you know, perhaps they're picked uh, for Allegiant. Uh, on the other hand, you know, they, they, uh, um, uh, you know, they have still have those 757s uh, that they never should have bought to start the uh, Hawaii service. They still have the Honolulu base. You know, all that never really worked. Well, when you're putting up a 30 percent margin, despite having something that's uh, you know, that's not working, uh, that's a tailwind right there. are going to be getting rid of those planes, closing that base. And in the coming years, it'll be more and more uh, of an A320 family uh, airline. It'll be majority of that uh, within a few years. And, uh, and yeah, oh, by the way, they, for the first time, bought some new A320s. Uh, and typically, they've picked them up on the used market. But uh, current engine A320s, you know, the pricing has softened and, uh, I guess, got down to a point where Allegiant was, for the first time, comfortable buying new. All right. Seems that our cup runneth over in the Airline Weekly Lounge lately. And that's good because we want this to be a family show without all the... <laughs> Without all the cursing that comes from lousy earnings reports. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell. We'll see you back here next week. You've just listened to Lounge Episode number 51. <laughs>